All right, welcome to this episode of Dad Bod History. I'm Jake. We got Eric tonight and Jeff. Uh, I'm fine. Okay. I thought you were the unathletic director. Oh, essentially, yes. That was your joke, not mine. It was a good one, too. Well, yeah. All right, Jeff, you got some dad stuff? Well, yeah. So I'm 50. I'm going to be 51 here really soon. And uh, okay. I started losing a little hair here right at the middle. And Ooh. You know, I wasn't really that upset about it, but I also wasn't that okay with it. So um, I've always said that, you know, when that happens, I'm just going to I'm just going to start cutting it all a half inch thick or I'm going Declan Murphy style and do that. And I'm okay with that. But Mm -hmm. um, I thought, you know what, let's just see what let's just see what's out there. So um, anyhow, I take I have Rogaine and it's just a little topical thing you put on there twice a day. and. I'll be damned if I don't have a full-on Jake Rines, 19-year-old head of hair all of a sudden. I mean, look at all this. It's like... It looks good. It feels good. It's great. It's all can real. I, it's the best. Can I put that on my face? Um, Bart Simpson I mean, did some, in an early episode yeah. of The Simpsons and had a uh, beautiful Van Dyke. So, so that's the so. prediction for me? Well, you remember our buddy Joel Brandt? who was going bald in college. He used Rogaine or Propecia or whatever it was. And he said, but he had a full beard. And he's like, yeah, I think the problem is that like when I went to sleep at night, the stuff would get on the pillow and then got on his face. So, I mean, maybe it works for you, Eric. I don't know. I'm okay. Okay. That's fine. You say that. Look, your hairline's not receding. It's not moving. Wait until you start to get like a like a butt crack on the top of your head. And we'll see how, yeah. how okay add you that, are with Add that to yeah. my yeah. existential crisis. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Start the one thing I have going for me. You don't even have gray. That's Just, the thing. I do. I do. Do you? Oh, shut like up. You have raven black hair still. Yeah, you look like I've, a... I've, I've got some salt in that pepper. Look at my, okay. my yard guy. It is jet black. <laughs> I'll let you guess who my yard guy is now. <laughs> you get two guesses, but you only need. That's right. And I'm pretty sure we're not going there. So anyhow, that was All my right. little. Moving my little right along. Bod. I like it. So we, my dad news of this week, the little dad front news is the solar eclipse happened over the weekend and it came right through Utah. So. We drove down to the Fremont Indian Museum, which is a few hours south of us in Utah. And uh, my brother-in-law was there. His son came with us. So it was a family thing. And uh, it was cool because the Indian Museum, it's got all these like petroglyphs um, from the Fremont culture. And so it's kind of cool because a bunch of hundreds of people were there looking at the solar eclipse in this place where probably hundreds of years ago, some indigenous tribes. We're looking at a solar eclipse and my son and my daughter's their first solar eclipse. And they thought it was so cool. You know, although my son was like, he saw it. And like when the sun finally, the ring, it was in the full ring, you know, the moon was right in the middle. And he's like, I'm like, Hey, this is it, buddy. It's happy. He's like, Oh, that's good. He goes, why isn't it dark? He goes, I thought it was going to be dark now. Sorry, buddy. The the sun is still pretty bright, even with the moon in front of it. But uh, it was cool. It was an awesome trip. Well, now there's another one coming next uh, spring. Does that hit? That doesn't hit Utah, does it? I don't think so. That's the thing is this one, we got the full 
eclipse at passing through Utah. Like most of North America could see the eclipse, but we got the full moon perfectly in the center of the sun and the ring. It was it was really cool. So in, in April 8th of next year, Tyler, Texas gets a full solar eclipse. So we had a partial this weekend as well. And we had the special glasses out at the soccer game. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when you were still like in Arizona and we were at the office and you went down to the welding shop and you got a piece of welding glass and we were all looking at that. That was a cool time. That was, that fun, was cool. Yeah, did, did you guys get the special glasses, Jake? Yeah, we did. Yeah, it was fun. And my son, <laughs> my daughter, she's older. And so she understands even with the glasses, you don't stare too long. Like you got to take breaks. And then, you know, they're so dark that if you're not looking at the sun, you can't see anything. It's black. And so my son's walking around, not seeing anything, just going off the trail, kicking plants over. Like, like buddy, come here. Like, just take a breath. But that was a good time, man. How about you, Eric? So I remember fart jokes. A couple years ago, we had a big eclipse that came through, and I was in California at the time. And we all went outside, like the fifth grade class, and we put the glasses on and we looked at it, and it was cool. And I remember a kid being like, so. <laughs> like what's like this is a solar eclipse mm-hmm. like what's a lunar eclipse and i'm like well that's when the earth's shadow hits the moon and uh <clears throat> and then he's and i'm like so the earth passes between the moon and the sun it's like what <laughs> what happens if the sun passes between the earth and the moon I was like, <laughs> we're all dead that's what happens and so I was looking because I'd seen a meme about it. And it's like lunar eclipse, solar eclipse, apocalypse. Yeah. Okay. That's good. <laughs> so that was making me giggle. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's move along. I got a, unless you have some dad news, Eric, that you want to hit us with before we move. To I mean, next. we've basically just been insanely busy. Okay. Um, but we get, you know, we're, we have our conference coming up. So we're going to be in San Diego. So we're trying to plan things because nice. we're taking everyone. So we're trying to plan to go things to the... on a budget. So like yeah. SeaWorld is out. Even the zoo is kind of out. It's like we're going to spend $400 to go to the zoo mm-hmm. for like three hours. Are you going to do the Midway? That's in San Diego, uh, right? I might. Uh, we, we did that last year. Uh, might take my son. And just Uber from the hotel over there. Because we did it last year and I parked. It cost me like $45 to park. Jeez. Insane. So he wants to see the Midway. We'll go do that. It'll be fun. That's cool. I like the Midway. I remember when we did it. I don't know when it was exactly. Was it for that eighth grade trip? Did we go see the Midway? It may have been. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. I really enjoyed that. And it's funny because that midway, I mean, it's big and it's awesome and it's impressive, but it's like Half compared the to, the, of to the to the Ford. That's like yeah, it's kind of rinky dink. All yeah. right. Well, when, I got a. Oh, go ahead. 
one thing I was thinking about is a question I wanted to ask, like on a TikTok video. Uh, so I may have to get around to asking it. Like, what is something that that was made obsolete before it was finished? And I think, like the Iowa class battleships were essentially rendered obsolete before they finished development of them. Because they were going to be the Iowa class next... is like the Missouri and the... What's that? Was that the like the Missouri and the Arizona and the... Uh, was that I the don't Iowa know class? that they were Iowa class. Uh, USS Arizona... Well, no, USS Arizona. Six fast was... battleships ordered by the United States Navy in 1939. Arizona, Pennsylvania class. Um, Iowa, New Jersey, Missouri, and Wisconsin. Two more were laid down but canceled in 45 and 58, respectively. And both holes were scrapped in 58, 59. I'm thinking because there was a couple... Yeah, because like the Wisconsin was completed in '44, which was towards the end of oh, World it was War the II. Montana class okay. that was planned to come after the Iowa class, and then they just scrapped it because yeah, because basically after World War II, you know, once I mean halfway through rockets, World War II, it they became yeah. obsolete. But they were still able to use those ships. Like the Wisconsin served up through the first yeah. Gulf War. But they just yeah, I mean, kept when upgrading you have it. those guns, you're going to use them. But once you realize they were essentially obsolete with the advent yeah. of the aircraft carrier, you're not going to build more. You're just going to build aircraft carriers. Yeah. No, I agree. That That's a good one. Yeah. Did you have any so, others or is that the only one? No, that was just kind of like the question I had, right? Like. You know, Something that was these... over before it was even completed. Yeah, I guess it would be that last Montana class. Never even got off the ground. Uh, because... Laser discs. Laser discs. Were... Oh. That was something. Remember that hot minute the, the laser disc came out and they thought it was going to revolutionize everything. And then DVDs were infinitely better. That was a store I went into all the time. It was at Fashion Square in Scottsdale. <clears throat> and they always had records and CDs, but they always had laser discs too. I forget what it was. It was way back in the day when I was in high school. I remember always seeing like that back corner shelf with laser discs. And I was like, what is this? This is so mm -hmm. cool. This is amazing. Never amounted yeah. to anything. Yeah, let's take so. something as big as an old record and make it digital. That's shocker that it didn't last <laughs> a hot minute <laughs> all right so i got a some moral dilemmas for you guys this is this game i bought a few months ago and it's basically you're put in a situation you have to make a decision between two choices um they're kind of humorous they're usually based in some sort of history so the first one Jack Bauer and torture. You are Jack Bauer. The country is engaged in a war on terror. Many of your security advisors advocate the use of torture. Several legal experts also supported this position. Do you use torture as a means of extracting information? It's very effective. Or B, 
Use the power granted to you by the President of the United States to offer immunity from past and present crimes as a bargaining chip. So let's say you got some guy at Gitmo. He knows all the secrets to prevent the next attack. Do you torture him for the information or do you offer him immunity in extraction in, in, in exchange for the information? And torture, easy. Torture. <laughs> next question. All right. Next question. Eric, do you got a differing opinion? Is it the same guy in both examples? Just going to torture yeah, him again. Yeah, you torture him the first time. No, I'm then saying you like, like I got a lead shake butthole here. And, you know, like, and my choices are to give this guy immunity and get the information I want or torture him and get the info. <laughs> like, that's yeah. hands down. You gonna put this guy back on the battlefield? No. I think I can see him thinking. You know, I've I've seen this moral dilemma come across a bunch of times, at which it's like, do we do we undermine some of the the most important principles of our society in order to save parts of that society? It's tricky. If it's my children. I don't hesitate. Depends on yeah. the city we're talking about. That's what, right? Like, like there's a nuclear weapon. So we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, it depends on the city. Depends on the city. So yeah. it's, it's, if it's like Modesto, no big deal. <laughs> Bakersfield, he's not interested. I'm out. Yes. I, I mean, yeah, kind of depends on the city. Okay, so the only... That's about the most immoral answer possible. Yeah, Eric is going with the least moral option. Depends on the city, if I like you enough. Um, so the only, uh, I guess, context I'll add is in, in World War II, there was an interrogator for Germany. Uh, I think his yes. name was Hans Scharf. And he was this guy with, like, American POWs. He would just go in and talk to them. And he never really, like said, tell me what you know. He would just mm-hmm. talk to them about their life, sports, whatever it was, to get them talking. And then as they were talking, they would divulge things that they thought they were going to keep secret just through the course of a conversation. And he became so popular after the war that he, like, gave lectures and, like, it shaped U.S. intelligence and, like, interrogations for the future, um, you know, future conflicts like the CIA right and stuff like that. Right up until 2001. Yeah, maybe, kind of. Um, and then, because obviously this question is clearly the war on terror after the bombings, at, uh, you know, after 9-11. So that's the only, you know, the quite possibly one of the best interrogators ever was someone that never used torture. Um, and I think that's worth it, but, you know, worth at least discovering or looking at it from that angle. But, you know, I also get the impetus to force the information out of people. All right, next question. You are the passenger, first class passenger aboard the greatest ship ever built, but it has struck an iceberg and is sinking in the Atlantic. The captain has ordered an evacuation of the ship but there are limited lifeboats available. There are hundreds of third-class passengers locked in the lower decks. Do you release the unwashed masses because it is the proper English thing to do or B, jump on the nearest lifeboat? Buying a first-class ticket has some privileges after all. 
Hold on, the proper help. English thing to do would be let the Irish drown. Oh, yeah, that's true. <clears throat> yeah, they would not so, think about it at all. What did you do? I don't know. Come on, Eric, you got to pick something. You're on the, you're, just, you're, the, the boat's right there. The door is right there. Are, are we sure there the were not enough lifeboats for everybody? They were just going to be cramped and uncomfortable. I mean, that's what the movie indicated, right? So there were there were not enough lifeboats for every person. I forget what the ratio actually was. But I also know many of the lifeboats were not even close to full. Yes, that's true. They released them far too soon. So let's say you release everybody. Sure. What does that do? I mean, Mayhem. potential mass panic for everybody that it was not trapped below, obviously. Yeah, I'm not. I, I mean, I think it, logically and mathematically, the way to handle this is do it in reverse order. Let's get the people from the bottom of the ship onto the boats first and start at the lowest level because they're the ones who are going to drown first and evacuate level by level going from bottom to the top, thereby imprisoning the kleptocracy in their rooms <laughs> until yeah. the last hundred or so seats are available on the life rafts. Then you save everybody, theoretically, right? And you Possibly. save capitalism. You save capitalism. And that's what it really matters. I, I do think, so again, it, the question, at least when I think about it, is if I'm by myself, I'm I'm more likely to open the door and let the people, you know, out. But if I'm with my wife and kids, I'm going to make sure that they're on a boat far before I help anybody else. And so in that regard, I, I would probably leave the door locked if that was the case, because I would make sure that my kids are and my wife are safe first. Are they in first class? In, oh, obviously. Yeah. I would not hear the end of it if I got first class and they were on coach. There's no way. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> I got to go to the cattle hold to get my family. <laughs> I'm going to be right back. Oh, he's really going to be right back. I thought that was oh, part he, of the he just Titanic story. Yeah. It was getting so good. Okay. Well, well we've got a, I, since I have access to the, uh, to the outline for tonight, the next question is war, escalate or tuck tail. What is it good for? I'm not very good singing. Oh, here you go. Well, Jake is here to. So, Jake, we already dove into war, escalate or tuck tail, but I'm pretty sure your card has a scenario for us. Yeah. What did you guys say? Well, we didn't get into it. We didn't have the whole scenario, so okay. Eric just started singing. It was glorious. Awkward. Uh <laughs> Jeff's is more the, accurate. So here's the scenario. You are the leader of a world power. You have inherited a long-running and costly war in a foreign country. You believe the war is worth fighting for because your ideological enemies are extending their influence around the world. Your generals advise that the war has not, not yet been won because they need more soldiers. Do you A, pay whatever it costs and authorize a draft to bring the war to a successful conclusion? 
Voters like leaders who win wars or B, admit defeat, cut your losses by withdrawing from the war immediately. Obviously, there's some parallels here between the Cold War um, and then you could say the war on terror regarding Afghanistan and, and Iraq. What do you think? Hmm. Institute a draft or admit defeat and cut your losses? That's tricky. It was the Cold War. You, that means you, you're basically ceding the battlefield to the Russians. So oh. I know. See, probably would have fallen apart anyway, right? Eventually, yeah. I mean, it was an unsustainable system for sure. So, and so, so yeah. some cut and run examples. You know, Afghanistan, Vietnam. Those are both cut and runs that kind of worked out okay, right? Theoretically, yeah, well, those I, those fit into your. Example. Yeah, well, with Vietnam and specifically, I think just a few months ago, the United States signed a like a trade agreement with the Viet with Vietnam to like move manufacturing over there and out of China because our relations have gotten so good with Vietnam post war. So in that case, yeah, it, the, the United States it actually it's taken a long time, but it's better than continuing to try to fight there for sure. I guess you could say instances of staying, it would be North Korea, South Korea. The United States has stayed there, even though they're not actively fighting. And you know, the older I get, the less supportive I am of war. So I still carry a gun, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's having two kids in the military. Maybe it's seeing, you know, Randy's son join the Air Force, all that stuff. I don't know. Broken families, broken people. Yeah, and then you know, and, and then you get to wonder, like, like what's the story you're being told? I know I'm getting off topic here, but no, go it's ahead, like man. the U.S. government's batting a thousand on telling us what's going on all the time, right? What? Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I think I, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, you know, when 9/11 happened, obviously I was very like, let's go, let's get these guys and and do whatever it takes. And and then after 20 years of war on terror, whatever you define that as and it's like yeah we got osama bin laden and that's good but it's like was the rest of it really worth it and more often the answer i feel like is no and, and not just for the people you know in the countries that we invaded but you know for the soldiers returning home and um their loved ones and, and friends and families having to help them pick up the pieces coming home, you know, from that trauma and, and those that didn't come home, I think it's really hard to, to see something that is not an existential crisis be a reason to, to mobilize. Yeah. Watch, watch a minute or less of children being reunited with parents who have been gone oh my to gosh. war. It's yeah. I don't know. As, as a father, it just rips my heart out. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that means I can't make the hard decisions or what. And, you know, it's it's not, you know, it's a question on the back of a card. I'm sure it's always deeper than that. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm trending towards the the not going to war the older I get, it seems. No, I agree with that. Eric, do you have any thoughts? Yes. You look like you do. I, I agree with both of you. I, I've I've become pretty fanatically anti-war over the past 10, 11 years. 
Mm-hmm. With that said, I mean, if we're going to be in a war, I think one of the uh, one of the criticisms of Vietnam is that it was this constant political balance between the optics at home and trying to be effective in the field. And it seems to me that that one of the big uh, verdict verdicts on Vietnam is that the uh, the American people, whether they were right or wrong, quit on the whole thing, and the government quit as well, mm-hmm. and that the American soldier, if given the resources, could have completed that task. Yeah, whether that's true or not is, I'm sure up for question. But I, I mean, if you're going to be involved in a conflict, you might as well go all in, like take care of business. And I and I say that because one of my problems is, and again, if I'm the leader of this country, that puts me in a different position, but. One of the problems I have, and I kind of have it with the current situation in Israel, is that everybody is so focused on stability that what everybody is actually saying is, let's just keep the status quo. That's everybody's opinion. Let's bring peace back. Let's stop the fighting. Let's have a ceasefire. And I agree, but nothing changed except that everyone got to uh, trade some lives, you know, a few thousand lives, and then we move on. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's fine. Like, I'd rather fewer people die, sure, but status quo, the tension well, remains. Think- Hamas is still Hamas is still in control. State so- of Israel is still doing what it does. Iran is still shaking its fist. We've got two carriers and nobody's doing anything. And so it's nothing, interesting. Well, not that nobody's doing anything. Nothing's going to change. But it's interesting because from our perspective, this conflict from the United States perspective, the conflict is between Israel and Hamas. Israel is our ally, so we want to support our ally. To Israel and definitely to the Palestinians, this is an existential crisis to them. It's not it's not a tertiary thing to them. It is the decide, you know, whether or not an entity or state survives. No, it's it's literally and figuratively on their doorstep. Yeah. Yes. So if it's an existential crisis, will you go all in to achieve your ends? Or are you going to sign a ceasefire next week and just say, uh, we're going to stop shooting missiles and we'll open up some water pipes and, you end up with the same thing five years down the road. And and that's where, because we don't have a two-state solution, because one side didn't agree to this or one side didn't agree to that. So mm-hmm. we're, we're in this, just kind of, we're hanging there. Everybody's just hanging there until Hamas launches a few more rockets or the Israelis bulldoze another sell- settlement or... Or somebody blows up a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. It's a few hundred lives. 
Yeah, I'll launch some rockets and get and you know I a clip came across TikTok the other day from the West Wing. Jeff, I don't know if you ever watched the West Wing. There's a great scene uh, <clears throat> where he's in the Situation Room and he's listening to the Joint Chiefs and the Secretary of Defense and his uh, his Chief of Staff giving him these proportionate responses because a terrorist group shot down a plane with his doctor on it, right? And uh, he says, what's the virtue in a proportionate response? And they're like, well, you know, we have this target, this target. And he's like, yeah, they know we're coming, right? They know, like this hospital's been abandoned or this <clears throat> this uh, intelligence agency's been abandoned for three days. We know that. And they're like, yeah, well, so what's the virtue in a proportionate response? We're just trading you know, dashes on a chalkboard. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to this question, escalate, what's the virtue in just matching your opponent? Shouldn't you obliterate them? Well, that was the doctrine in World War II, for sure. It was yeah. absolutely crushed Germany and Imperial Japan. Yeah, World War II is existential. I don't think Afghanistan or Vietnam no. are existential by any means. No, and, and that may no. be – for us, it wasn't existential. For the opponent, it was. We, we are – we were fighting on, on different planes of necessity. Mm -hmm. But again, Israel, Hamas, it's, it's tricky because – Well, with <laughs> Afghanistan, you know, after 9-11 – I believe either Pakistan or in huh. Afghanistan, the United States was offered Osama bin Laden. Like, uh, that happened in 98. I thought it was after the attack, too. It's like, mm -hmm. you were saying, we're going to invade you. And I swore that they said, no, we'll tell you where he is if you don't invade us. I know in 98 that Clinton was also given an opportunity because the first World Trade Center was in 94. Right. But I thought it happened again. And so the, to the point of your, you know, escalation, like there was an opportunity, if I'm remembering correctly, which is totally possible. I'm not that there was an opportunity not to invade Afghanistan. After 9-11. But I could be wrong, so I don't want to spend too much time unless you can find it quickly. Here we go. Apparently in 95, Sudan offered to hand him over. Mm -hmm. But I guess there's the no credible one. evidence that that was the case. Also, the same offer was made in 96. Hmm. Yeah, well, either way, we got him. <laughs> we got him. Good on us. All right, let's move on. Uh... I feel I'm not going to say I'm just going to say I feel odd reading the copy after that discussion. <clears throat> I don't know why, but we can do it. Are, are we doing a word from our sponsor? We are doing a word from our sponsor. Because technically our sponsor paid us and we need to make we have, make we have obligations. <laughs> yeah, yes. we have obligations. <laughs> so I'll start. The American workforce is changing faster than ever. Called by some, the Great Resignation is more likely accurately described as the Great Migration. Today's workers are less content with the status quo 
Eric, and are, they are looking outside the box. Business buyers currently outnumber sellers three to one. A business with growing revenues and quality books and records is a very marketable commodity in this market. That is where Transworld Business Advisors comes in. With over 40 years of business brokerage experience, our network of professional business brokers offers you connection to the largest and fastest growing brokerage company in the world. That expertise and growth means that when you work with us, you gain unmatched exposure on a local, state, national, and global level. In addition to working with buyers and sellers of existing businesses, we are also here to help business owners who want to franchise their concept and obliterate their com competitors. Hey, exactly. We That's offer we a call callback. solution for your franchising goals that starts with a viability assessment and follows through a follows through to a comprehensive thank you for highlighting that comprehensive yeah. marketing strategy <laughs> to help you establish and grow your own brand. Call today to set up a discreet and confidential consultation with a local representative. You can reach Jeff Peterson. He's awesome at 903-422-6818. Or you can go to www.tworld.com. Again, that is www.tworld.com. Doing good deals for good people every day. Look, I forgot the document is a live edit and that anything I do, you guys can see. So I'm sorry about that. That was... It's all right. It was a little distracting, but I'm I don't sorry. know that it's going to matter in the long run. No, we're good. <laughs> all right. Moving on. Congress in chaos. Part tra. Twa? Twa. Yeah. Proest. Scalise. No Jordan McCarthy? So the chaos in the House. They can't seem to find a speaker. They threw McCarthy out. And then last week, they're like, all right, we're going to nominate. This is the Republicans. We're going to nominate Steve Scalise. He won the vote, the, the nomination vote in, in a closed door vote with the GOP caucus uh, against Jordan. But then the next day he withdrew because 20 GOP reps said they would never vote for him. So then Jordan, who is the second place guy, uh, became the first place guy. And he had his first full house vote for speaker today. And I think he also fell 20 votes short. Obviously, all the Democrats voted against him. And then 20 Republicans defected. So my question is, who is going to be? Who do you think? Uh, what are the odds? Is Jordan going to to force this one through? Is it going to be Scalise, McCarthy? Is he going to get a dark horse run? What do you think is going to happen for Speaker of the House? I really want Hakeem Jeffries to be <laughs> the speaker of a GOP majority house. That would make me so happy. But I, it won't happen. I mean, I would like it because I you know, tend towards the left, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think maybe, maybe if some Republicans get desperate enough, they might work with Jeffries to do like a brokered agreement for a GOP moderate speaker, but I don't I, think Jeffries is going to get it. I lean that way. Not because I lean left, but because I lean right. But more than that, I lean into chaos. I know you, you are. And I love that chaos. idea. You want chaos? We we have chaos, correct? Yeah, we're we're this in is it. Fantastic! I love it. This is peak so era right what, now. If it could last what, what, another forty-five days, and just show the American people these people are not serious people, do with that which information. Which of these solutions provides you with more chaos? I mean, is that who I you think getting? Is that why he's your uh, well? 
he Trump was not getting elected. I, he uh, Matt Gates nominated him. Oh my gosh, that's an eye roll, Matt Gates. Uh, yeah, it's just fun watching this. I mean, I think this is peak chaos. I think once they find a speaker, no matter how good or bad it is, the chaos will subside. The chaos right now is that they don't have one and that the government's going to shut down in 30 days. And they can't do anything without a speaker. And they can't do anything. That's the, there's no votes, nothing. So right now, this is it. I don't know if it gets more chaotic than this. Jake, what are your thoughts on Jim Jordan? Because I think he's the odds-on favorite. What, what do you think of the guy? I don't like him. I would have – so obviously – I don't really like is any there, of them. Is but, there a Republican that you do like for this role? I, so I, not that I was a huge fan of Scalise, but I thought he was going to be the guy. And I thought he took probably, a bullet for America. He did get shot at that softball. He took a bullet game. in America. <laughs> yeah. So I thought he was going to be the guy. I thought he was going to be the kind of guy that could, you know, you know, whip the party for votes um, when needed. And, I, the thing with Jordan is he's so ideological, which, you know, is not necessarily bad, but I think he's so ideological for Trump that anything Trump says or wants, Jordan will do without hesitation as speaker. And I, that scares me more than, than anything. Um, are there Republican representatives that I would probably be okay with speaker? Yeah, but unfortunately, I don't know what their names are because those kind of Republicans aren't in leadership right now. So I guess, you know, I'm, I, I know like in New York, there's like a, quite a few, like more, I'm not gonna say centrist, but more mainstream Republicans that are like in Biden districts that would probably be okay, but they're not in leadership. So I, I don't know who in leadership I would be okay with, but I think Jordan is probably going to make this happen one way or another. Or what's your issue with Jordan? Oh, just the, I, I think when it came to after January 6th, um, I think he was Trump's biggest cheerleader during that whole overturning the election, whether or not you call it an insurrection. I think he was the, one of the main guys in Congress pushing that agenda. I also think um, because of that, it's going to make it almost impossible for him to govern with obviously the Democratic Party, but any middle of the road Republicans that may be there. Whereas, say what you will about McConnell in the Senate, McConnell is a very shrewd politician and he is very good at getting things done. Now, some may say he he's not a real Republican. I don't know about that, but he knows how to make government work. And I think right now we're in so much dysfunction. I'm worried about a Jordan speakership for that main reason. I wasn't aware of all that. You know, a little bit that I know about Jordan is I love it when he talks during hearings. He seems to uh, have his ducks in a row. He speaks clearly and forcefully. But, yeah, I didn't know about the whole January 6th thing. And I had completely ignorant his relationship with Trump, whatever it is. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is, I think Jordan, like a lot of people, especially in the House of Representatives, he is so good at playing to the camera. Like he he's really good at that. And I think representatives on both sides in the House 
are masters of it. Jordan being one of them. I think Gates, although I think he's a tool, is very good at it as well. Um, the squad on the left is the same way. And uh, I don't know if it's good for the country, but they're really good at getting in front of a camera and, and pushing their agendas and views. Eric, what are your thoughts? Well, and so Other this is you the just problem, like chaos. Right? You have you have these two edges of both parties. You've got the squad. You've got the Freedom Caucus. The problem is that the gap between the most centrist Republican and the most centrist Democrat is so wide that you can't get a truly centrist nomination through. Yeah. Both sides are being held hostage by their their most extreme wings. That we could nominate somebody right from the middle and just be like, are there enough Democrats here that get along with this guy? Enough Republicans over here that get along with this person? Nominate them. And then all the extremes have to just disappear. Yeah. But we That'd won't be do awesome. That. I've I would be fine with a centrist speaker. I yeah. just I agree. I don't think either side <clears throat> is gonna give an inch on that to make it happen. I do think I, it's... I, yeah, well, clearly that's not going to happen, right? It, well, I, I think it so would they, have happened. That's the problem, right? Yeah. Every Republican or most Republicans see any Democrat as uh, a threat to their existence. It's an existential crisis again. Same thing with Democrats. If a Republican who wants to cut funding to something, that's an existential crisis that we have to avert. So that gap just grows wider. Yeah, well, and you've got, you know, the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is like 10 guys that go to Denny's on Saturday and, and hang out. And, but like that's their 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 actual influence and power in Congress is minimal. Yeah. You know, they, they always talk about them like, oh, well, we could do a bipartisan thing. And there was like, is yeah, there actually I, a Problem Solver Caucus? Yeah. <laughs> I have a great name. That's a great name. I think it's like 20 representatives. 10 Democrats, 10 Republicans, and supposedly they're centrists, but they never get anything huh. done. <laughs> like, they have a total of 63 seats in the House. Oh, do they? Break the gridlock, problem solvers. And you never caucus. heard about them until today. Josh Gottheimer and Brian Fitzpatrick. Yep, never heard of these guys. You see? And Everybody, Patrick Fitzryan. Patrick Fitzryan <laughs> is very good. And then, you know, Fitzmagic. Yeah, you never heard of them because nobody wants from that nonsense. All over the country, like this is a widespread. There's probably six or seven from California, one from Arizona. It's like two from Texas, one from South Dakota from their one district. A couple Wisconsin. I mean, I think part of the House's issue is that the gerrymandering that is done incentivizes the representatives to play to the extreme. Yeah. And that's not a Republican or Democrat only. Like You both can do that do in certain districts. Some districts yeah, well, hate it Jer because Jim you, Jordan you're is winning in one of those districts. So that winning incentivizes him. Narrow margins. So to be extreme, it's tough. There's a guy in this caucus called Willie Wiley Nickel. It's a great name. That's not even a real person. They're just. Uh, I mean, they have a picture now. of a guy. It's probably AI. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Jim Jordan is in a very gerrymandered district, so he right. knows 
he has to play to his base and he knows he has to do that so that he doesn't get primary. The only chance he has of losing his job is if he loses a primary to another Republican. So his incentive is for him to play as far right as he can, whether or not he believes it. I, I don't know. And, and it's the same thing for, you know, uh, Democrats that are in gerrymandering. So in New York, they gerrymander in Illinois. Democrats have a huge gerrymander there. And so obviously the incentive is to play to their to their base and to the extreme of their base so that they don't get primary. Okay. Well, one of these members is from Guam, so he doesn't even get to vote. Yeah. See, that's how, that's basically how useful the problem solvers caucus is. They're basically Guam. So there you go. All right. Well, I don't know if we solved it, but that's what's happening in the house. So here's hoping they figure it out in the next day or two. But if not, We'll be back next week with more. What are the odds that we'll be back next week with more? Maybe that that's a better bet. Three to two. Yeah, we'll against. see. Three to two against. Does that mean you think they'll solve it? No, no, we're not solving anything. Solve okay. well, sure I thought, what, what are the chances that we record next week? I thought that's where we're going, but. Well, that's also a good question. So, <laughs> all right. All right, let's get to old news. So AI, artificial intelligence, deciphers a 2,000-year-old scroll. Uh, this is from the Smithsonian, so you know it's legit. Hundreds of scrolls were found in the 1700s from uh, Herculaneum, which was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD. However, the scrolls were carbonized, burned, um, so they could never be unrolled and opened um, to be deciphered. However, in August, Luke Ferritor, who's 21, and I think he goes to, like, Nebraska, used his AI program to read an image from one of the scrolls, and it said uh, porphyrus, which just is the Greek word for purple. He won $40,000 for that. Now, there's this contest called, like, the Vesuvius Challenge because they got hundreds of these scrolls. So whoever can translate four passages with at least 140 characters, so a tweet, um... We'll win $700,000 as the grand prize. So all that to say, AI is not all bad, but I, I think it's wild. Like they found these burnt scrolls 300 years ago. And they're like, let's hold on to these in case we can never figure out how to read them. Um, and now with technology and AI, they're being able to figure that out. Hmm. Yeah. And they use like a, certain type of machine to like read where the ink is yeah. at different levels and then like digitally scan it and open it up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's all rolled upon itself. So they have to figure out what layer the ink is on to, to make an image. And then the AI can translate that image into some sort of text. And then after all that, they get the word purple. They get the word purple. Yeah, that was, they worked really hard for one word. But I mean, yeah. good for him. He got 40 grand. So that's a that's a good weekend for a 21 year old college student. All right, moving on to the next article This is from the Daily Star in UK. Roman emperor's face has been recreated for the 21st century. If you click on the article, you can see the picture. Eric, make sure you put it up when you when you do this in, in post. Um, yeah, sure thing. <laughs> so the Royalty Now Studios use some he computer programs. He looks like Two-Face. 
he does kind of look like Aaron Eckhart. Well, because one side of his face is oh, because still it's marble still the statue. Yeah, okay. The other one is fleshy. But, and fleshy that's a word all right um <laughs> you see so the roman emperor we're talking about is augustus rome's first emperor nephew and adopted son of julius caesar i saw the picture and it looked like he was like dressed like prince william that's the kind of the the energy that that photo gave me is that it was like a prince william but he still had all his hair but the comments so they made this image they posted a video like on youtube and the comments are like oh augustus was quite handsome what a beautiful man augustus was he reminds me of daniel craig and i don't know maybe does he look like daniel craig uh a little bit maybe i don't know it was just i think it's cool that they can figure out what these emperors would look like today but Daniel Craig, I mean, that's a pretty high bar, even for Emperor Augustus. All right. Next one. So 10 greatest civilizations. This is from travel.com, a wonderful historical source. So they have the 10 greatest civilizations and where their ancient capitals are today. I'm just going to list the 10 civilizations, and I want to get your thoughts on the list. Starting at 10, ancient Carthage. So based around the Mediterranean, their capital was in, I think, modern-day Libya, which is North Africa. Uh, fought the Romans in three wars. Lost all three. Tenth greatest civilization of all time, according to this article. Number nine, Rome. Does that seem low? Ancient Rome? A little Ancient bit. Rome comes in at nine. I know. I don't, I don't like that at all. I feel like this person just looked up ancient civilizations and got a list and threw them together randomly. Rome is way higher than nine. They might not be one, but they're better than nine. I, I agree. That's, but you know, let's see the rest of the list, but I'll All be right. surprised if I agree with this. Number eight, the Etruscan civilization. So who are the Etruscans? Yeah. What are the what people that, that the mean? Romans conquered very They were the people that Rome conquered in Italy. And that's basically all we know about them, is that they got conquered by Rome in Italy before Rome became a republic. Okay, so we can safely move Rome up to eight. What's next? Yeah, Rome's definitely at eight now. All right, number seven, the Achaemenid Persian Empire. So this would be the empire of, you know, Xerxes and Darius and Cyrus. Number seven. That's solid. Okay. The Indus Valley. You, you know, again, I, I I probably just without seeing the rest of the list, I probably got those two on the Mount Rushmore of ancient civilizations. They're up there, especially the Persians. Like they lasted centuries, and at one, I think when they exist, they were the greatest empire, like size wise. Uh, I think they were even bigger than the Roman Empire, and might have been the biggest empire until like some of the later caliphates. So they were huge. So the Roman Empire wasn't really, I mean, it, it surrounded as, the Mediterranean, was, but the actual square footage was, or square uh, mileage was not quite. It was not as big as some of the others, yeah. for sure. Um, the Indus Valley Civilization. So this would have been um, near the Indus River uh, in India and South Pakistan and Afghanistan. 
So, so it says here that they uh, declined around 1300 BC due to climate change. So apparently they had SUVs. Yeah, they drove a lot of gas guzzlers. It was a problem. They didn't. They didn't use the the low emission food for the elephants. It was a. It was just a. It was rough. If only they had an Elon Musk with electric elephants. <laughs> they had a Tesla. <laughs> um, Phoenicia. Okay, so number five is Phoenicia. Phoenicia was based in like the Eastern Mediterranean by Tyre, just north of Israel, actually. Um, and Sidon was another one of their cities. They founded Carthage. So the Carthage. Carthaginian Empire was founded by Phoenicians. Uh, I feel like that's way too high. Yeah, especially I, I, if it's two empires from the same group of people. Yeah, we, I, I, we, we, we've got a backup. So, and Eric, this is only helps if you're looking at the picture. So, Eric, are you looking at the article that Jake's looking at? Yeah, yeah. Okay, look at the picture of Indus Valley civilization. This is your example, a stone wall. This could be El Pasto. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not a, impressed. There's no I'm way not saying, comes I don't care how much territory they had, how many people there were. You got one stone wall. You have all uh, of Rome on the other side. There's no yeah, you, way <laughs> this gets above oh, Rome. This is ridiculous. No. I agree. I agree. Nothing against the a Indus hallway. Valley. But Ooh, this article. <laughs> it's like, well, do you have a stone a hallway? Yeah. No, mine no. is stucco. Yeah, forget the aqueducts, the Colosseum, roads. Yep. They had a hallway. Okay, F minus. No, Sorry agree. to interrupt. You you <laughs> no, were on Phoenicia, I believe. It's a fair comp. The, the, the author is not doing themselves any favors with this with list that right picture? now. that picture? No. It's Show a travel yeah. website. <laughs> I know. Okay. Good. But still, they started it. We didn't. We're just here to nitpick and criticize. Like yes. that was that was a clickbait. The Indus Valley civilization at what six? That was clickbait. They knew what they were doing when they put that there. That's nothing against them. Not saying yeah, anything it's like against putting them. Brady at four on the list of all time great quarterbacks. You're you're yeah. just you're just you're being trolling. an ass now. Well, no, yeah. hold up, hold up. I, I think the Indus Valley I, I would put it in top five. But this is like using Brady's rookie picture with his shirt off to advertise <laughs> his entire career. That's true. So that's true. I'm sure yeah, there's a better picture the that they could have used. As a travel choice. website, this is what they're putting on there. Travel websites mm -hmm. of all websites know the impact of a good picture to get you to the beach or to the whatever. They're, they the put hallway. the Indus hallway. Yeah. I mean, now I've got to Google Indus Valley Civilization, see what else comes up. Just images. See, this could just. Oh, my God. Yeah, they picked. Yeah. Oh, geez. They really buried the lead on this. Yeah. Not yeah. not great, whoever this person is. Uh, number four, coming in at number four, the Minoan civilization. So the Minoan was uh, based in Crete, the island of Crete. Um, I think they existed up until about 1400, 1500 BC. Uh, and that was part of the Bronze Age collapse. They had a lot of huge influence over the Mediterranean, a lot of Greek influence um, from the Minoans. I would say they were an important empire and, and definitely an important civilization. Not I sure say nothing on an island can come in higher than seven. Okay. Because, I mean, what? You've got water all around you. You, you. you haven't stood the test of time, the test of other empires, other suitors coming after your land. They, they couldn't mount an amphibious assault against the Minoans. 
They were never tested. Get out of here with yeah. that. Okay. I think that's right. Yeah, I think being in that high. situation allows you to focus uh, a great deal on culture and art rather than on constant defense. Mm-hmm. You might have pirates and see people show up once in a while, but it's not quite like in a population moving against your borders. No, 15 well, Spartans that got blown off course in their canoe could have taken that whole thing down. <laughs> well, that's the thing is they existed. The Minoans existed from 3100 BC to 15th century BC until they were destroyed by conquerors from the mainland. And boat technology was not at its greatest, you know, back then. So they they did have an unfair advantage for quite a while just by being an island. Just like England did, you know, England was very hard to invade. So they were allowed to flourish because of that. Um, All right. Number three, ancient Egypt. I think this is pretty close to accurate. Number three, uh, probably the first great civilization, at least definitely in the in um, the Middle East and Africa and, and around the Mediterranean. It's the first one that I think really deserves to be before Rome on this list. Yeah. They're definitely top three. They're definitely top three. Yeah. Number two, ancient Greece. So I think this depends on, on when you're, you're measuring ancient, ancient Greece. So they say from the 8th century BC up until basically when Alexander died in 323 BC. That's five centuries. I think Greek culture and Greek influence puts them right up the top. I don't think their military prowess, I mean, for the basically the entire time they existed in those five centuries, except towards the end under Alexander, there was always bigger empires, more powerful empires, the, the Achaemenid Persians being one. Um, so militarily, I don't think they're there, but culturally and their impact on Western Civ, sure. Yeah, I don't have any argument against ancient Greece either. Have you guys been to Greece by chance? No, I have not blow your mind it's awesome and if you can go during easter go during easter it's like mardi gras and christmas and everyone's birthday all rolled into one man it's crazy when is that during easter easter yeah those uh those 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 greek orthodox man they go off like 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 people are they have goats on a spit like on every apartment balcony that you look up at it's amazing the goat holocaust (laughs) (laughs) the goats hate it the goats are not a fan of easter no Uh, but run too bad for them all right and then coming in at number one the sumerian civilization uh which has been hailed as the oldest civilization uh came into existence around 3300 bc um and was very powerful in mesopotamia the middle east uh I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I can see that where they're coming at, but I don't know if they're number one. Okay, I, listen, I I'm, like... first of all, I'm sorry to interrupt. We've gotten to the end of this list. I'm shocked there is not a South American empire on this list. Shocked. I am shocked, too. It, it's very Mediterranean-centric. This whole list is just based around the Mediterranean. They don't go into Jin China or like the Ming dynasty. Oh, yeah. They don't talk about the Mongols. They don't talk about anything in South America, like the Incas. Um, 
Yeah, I'm shocked as well. They don't no, talk I'm, about the Kaiser Reich. I, I had it in my mind that the Indus Valley was in there as a woke <laughs> candidate, like for no other reason than to do that. But to not have the, the Mayans, the Incans, any of that, it, it's it, it's incredible, right? Uh, it is. It absolutely is. And it, yeah, that's this list is not good. They say 10 greatest civilizations the world has ever known. And you basically ignored 70 percent of the world. I don't know. Yeah, it should it be seems... the 10 greatest civilizations the world has ever known inside this circle on a map. That's what it yeah, should if be. If the world was this big, that's yeah, <laughs> it was a bad list. Yeah, I think you could include several different dynasties in China. You could include the Mali Empire, the Mali Kingdom. Um, you know, I think I don't know who I'd put up there in South America. Probably the I think the Maya would would be the top for me. Yeah, but I, I mean, I I agree. I I think they had an incredible civilization that is easily as good as the Indus Valley or the Etruscans. Certainly, the Etruscans shouldn't even be on this list. That was a bad choice. So, anyway, yeah, looking back on it, that was bad. That was a bad choice. Who who wrote this? Drivel. Joshua Chidu. Well, Josh, you suck. So you're dead to us. Yeah, that's how I feel about that. All right. Uh, last article for tonight. Scientists make Celtic beer using an analysis of pollen from a burial site. So uh, there is this um, scientists from Charles University in Prague and Palacki University in Olomouc made an excavation at uh, Baiki Scala in Moravia, which is in Czech Republic. The cave was discovered, and Baiki Scala means um, Bull Rock Cave. It was discovered in 1867. They've got all these burial chambers in here from the Hallstatt period, which is like a proto-Celtic civilization um, from like 1200 to 400 BC. The Hallstatt culture was all over much of Central and Western Europe um, during that time. And they found in these burial chambers this pollen, and they were able to use it to discover the ingredients in beer because the people were buried with beer, um, you know, to get ready for the afterlife. The ingredients were millet, sage, meadowsweet, and mugwort. Also, they added clover, which they were, apparently the scientists were very surprised by that. I don't know. And honey as a sweetener. Uh, so they did it. They figured out the ingredients and then they brewed a, ba- a beer called Tori Ale because Tori is the Greek word for bull, and this is called Bull Rock Cave. And uh, they said the beer is not brewed with hops, because they didn't have hops back then, I guess. Uh, and it had a very bitter and sour flavor, which sounds just wonderful. I'm not a big drinker hmm. anymore. And if you're going to have me drink, I'm probably not going to drink something that's bitter and sour. I have a hard enough time with an IPA. Like, I don't know. Would you do it, Eric? Okay, well, let's also discuss the Maybe. reason for beer way back when. I mean, beer wasn't just something to drink with your boys, take That's the edge true. off at the end of the day. It, you know, it prevented disease. And yeah, so I don't know that they cared too much what it tastes like, really. You, you know, they, they've found also. That's true. In some containers. I think it was in Spain. They found evidence of ergot being in these wine containers. 
And that would have been a hallucinogenic. Nice. So there's a lot of discussion. There's a guy, Brian Murarescu, who wrote The Immortality Key. And he talks about these proto-Christian ceremonies that included the use of psychedelics um, in the form of wine. These wines had these other things added. And there's some discussion about whether or not those had that some of these ceremonies had these psychedelic elements to them. But this reminds me of that article that I sent sent you guys last week uh, about the guy who found the yeast, the 4,500-year-old yeast from Egypt, and they isolated it. And then they added it to this certain kind of oats and they made bread like bread as the Egyptians would have made it. And he said, the guy said it was the the best smelling bread he's ever had. Like the smell was amazing. And it turns out the guy who did this is also the inventor of the Xbox. And apparently the logo for Xbox is a sourdough boulet with the the X. Yeah. Huh. He's like a, He's a big fan of sourdough, apparently. This guy just loves his bread. That's awesome. (laughs) No, I think it's cool. Like, I, I, you know, kind of like with the AI deciphering the old text, I think it's cool that these scientists and these archaeologists are able to, like, not just say, well, there was a burial chamber here and clearly they buried, you know, beer and and all these other things. But, like, I bet, what what if, can we recreate this? Like, I think that's really amazing that, they can do that. Not that I want to drink it or anything like that, but just the fact that we're getting so good at like analyzing these things from the past that we can, you know, get, if not perfect, really close to what it would have been like back then. I think I bet that's that awesome. they didn't send any to Dylan Mulvaney. <laughs> no, no, not, not a, not a, not a drop. It's just, it's part of the playbook now. He's out. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> she, I'm sorry. She, she She's don't out. cancel us. She's out. No. I don't know if we can be canceled. I mean, well, we do have a thousand subscribers now, so we're <laughs> no, to the, the moon. The playbook now is, uh, <laughs> whatever's going on with Travis Kelsey I, and Taylor Swift and Pfizer and Aaron Rodgers. Wait, wait, wait. Pfizer involved. It's all part of the script. Yeah, because like, Travis this is the most well-scripted NFL season ever. Too Travis well Kelsey scripted. is like a spokesman for Pfizer now for getting your shot, your COVID shot. And, oh, tra- and uh, yeah, and Aaron Rodgers called him Mr. Pfizer on the Pat McAfee show. <laughs> and Travis Kelsey's like, I guess I kind of look like a Mr. Pfizer because he's a big dumb idiot. But it's like, it's so wild and so surreal because, you know. I guess Rogers is kind of like a vax truther and, and Taylor Swift who Kelsey's dating. I don't know what I'm looking I, at. I don't know. What are we you don't at? know what that is. Like it's all blurry. Oh, it says Arizona ten, zero oh. Phillies 10. Yeah. They got, they, uh, they ran head first into a brick wall in Philadelphia. They were feeling oh. too good. That's all right. The U S beat Ghana today. Good. So, you know, I good job. Was, I knew that was gonna happen. <laughs> Ooh, you well know, done. nothing like Dead lining mod. up Ba-dum-tsh. subpar opponents 
to get make our team better. Well, Germany, I mean, yeah, what their C squad beat us by three. Come on, it was not their C squad. What are you talking about? D squad, they're, whatever. They're their best player out there, and he looked like the best player. America couldn't touch the guy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Anyhow, okay. What's okay, next? I got. I got. All right. And we'll wrap it up. I'll save. This is going to be a teaser for next week. I'm going to save Brewster's Millions for next week. Oh. Oh, you want to do it tonight? No, it's okay. No, let's save no, it for next week. No, that, that's a whole episode. I, God, yeah. I love that movie. Are we talking the, the, the Richard Pryor movie? Richard yeah. Pryor, John Candy. He yeah. must have seen yeah. the same video I did. Yep, you did. It was on TikTok, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, okay. So anyway, we'll save that for next week. Tune in. To wrap up tonight, I got some old-timey Victorian slang for you. I'm going to say the, the slang. I want you to guess what it means. You guys ready? Yeah. Yeah. All right. First off, gas pipes. So if somebody says you've got gas pipes, what are they referring to? You're flatulent. No, no. You're, uh, your wife's ability to find you in a pub. No, <laughs> that's not it. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It has to do with clothing. Oh, you're well dressed. Got some, got some gas pipes there, bloke. Governor. No, not well dressed. It means you got tight pants. Your pants are too tight. <laughs> is this cockney? What is this? Like, yeah, <laughs> 1800s Victorian slang. Yeah. That's Don't a problem today. Pipes. Yeah. All right, next one up. Bags of mystery. So if you get mm. some bags of mystery, what have you been given? I just got a mental image of my father's testicles falling out of his shorts. <laughs> well, there's a policeman there to interview me in my living room. Oh, <laughs> but it's not that. It's not those. So good guess. You though. Sure. All right. Yeah. When in Rome. Eric, you got a guess other than Jeff's dad's testicles? That's specific. Only Jeff's dad. It was um, a strong image, Eric. I'm sorry. Bags <laughs> of I, I no clue. It's food related. That's your hint. It's related to food. What kind of food would be bags potatoes. of potatoes? Pasties. Pasties? No. Not potatoes. Sausage. Like when you fill. Oh. I was, was going to get close. I was going to say when you fill like a cow's bladder with some sort of fermented meat that's not bad because that's basically so pegs and mystery are called sausages because nobody but the maker knew what was in them so you weren't far off if that was your, your next and guess. how many hot dogs does america eat every summer it's yeah. oh my god it's glorious all right last one butter up bacon and i really like this one once you hear the what it means i think you're going to start using this in your can you give us a hint or some context can you use this in Ooh. a sentence Um, well, they gave an example sentence. So I'll just read that and see if that gives it away or not. Uh, the, the sentence they gave as an example is, are you going to put lace over the feather? Isn't that rather butter up bacon? I'm not Fancy? too chuffed by this one. No, you're not chuffed. I'm what not chuffed there? by this slang. Like fancy, like overdone. Good job. Yeah, 
That's exactly what it means. Extravagance. So uh, why would you put butter on bacon? Basically, bacon's perfect as it is. You don't need I to mean, put butter on it. Butter does make everything better. So no, it does. I mean, I, no I, I'm going to try that tomorrow now that it's come up. Uh, have you never but, cooked bacon and butter? No. Oh, it's good. But it's extravagant. It is. Maybe back then you could only afford one or the other, bacon or butter. So if you could good afford point. both. Have you ever put butter on a cinnamon roll? Because of you, I have yes. <laughs> because of you. Um, I also no. put salt on my cupcakes now because of You're you. Welcome, what? Jake. Yeah. Oh my god, it's the best. Have you not done that, Eric? I I don't have cupcakes that often. Go get a cupcake. Next time you have cupcakes, birthday cake, pie, mm-hmm. put salt on it. It's magic. Anything with frosting, just put some salt on it. Oh, it's so. Oh, good. it's the frosting. Well, any sugar. It's the, it's, it's the savory and the sweet. They right. Complement yeah. okay. each other in such a way. Sarah, it makes the sweet taste right better. <laughs> what? I'm sure Uber will bring you a cupcake. Yeah. 30 bucks. <laughs> 30 bucks. <laughs> He's looking it up. <laughs> Eric's about to have yet another existential crisis tonight. I can't afford a $30 cupcake. When your wife Amy. comes in, catches you eating that at what is 10 this? p.m. Dude, what is this doing? charge? You're crying. You don't understand. <laughs> oh, I'm out of a problem. And where's all our salt? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Eric's That's a great way to end tonight's episode. That's yeah, perfect, good, Eric. Good, good stopping spot. That was fun. I like the old-timey <laughs> slang. That was good stuff, Jim. Go get that. Go get that cupcake. Don't feel bad about it. I'm going to text my junior high group teachers. Just one of them gonna, will bring cupcakes tomorrow. You're going to focus group it? All right. Do it, man. Smart. I need yeah, a, I need a, If somebody's going to, I have to bring salt. That's fine. Salt's pretty yeah, common. Let's call it science. Yeah. You can yeah. turn this into a teaching moment. All right. I'm going to show up well, a with couple of Thank you all for joining us in tonight's episode of DadBot History. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you watch or listen to your podcast. Thank you so much, and have a great day in history. See you all next time. Oh. <laughs>